We're in this series called Reveal, and we started last week because we're in this season called Epiphany. And we have a little bit of a chat about what Epiphany means and, and why we do this and why we celebrate Epiphany and why it's important to the church. It's a manifestation. It's a, a bringing something to light. It's a something that wasn't known before that has now revealed itself. And that's what the word revealed is. It's another uh, term for the, the word apocalypse, the Greek word apocalypso. Uh, is to reveal, to unveil something, and to say a truth that previously wasn't known. Jesus is here on the scene now. He has been born. The people have come to see him. And now we get to see in the life and the gospels of Jesus as he reveals himself to the people around him. As he starts to call the people and he starts to work his miracles and he starts to do his ministry that he's said that he's come to do, we now get to see and witness that firsthand. Jesus is revealing himself to the world as God. He is the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is not his last name, it's his title. It's what he's come to do, it's what he's come to be. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And so last week we talked about Jesus and his baptism and, and John the Baptist and his message that we all need to be carriers of that message. We need to um, be humble. We need to have humility as we're going because that's not about us. It's about that there's one more powerful that is coming behind me, that there is someone else that all of this is for. That it's not about being bigger and better than a church down the street. It's about making God known in the community. It's making a big deal uh, about him. And so we need to become humble carriers of that message no matter what we do or where we go. And so this week we're going to take a sidestep into the book of John. And John is uh, the fourth gospel. And there's reasons for that that we can't get into today because we've got a lot of other things to talk about. But John is the fourth gospel and we read it every single year. And we want to talk about Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry here in John. And there's this great scene where he's calling his disciples to him. And we're going to read in John 1, 43 through 51. And it's just a short little scene here that we're going to, we're going to read about. So it says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Well, how can you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
the picture of Jacob's ladder, the picture of Jacob's dream finally come to fruition. There are five of Jesus' parables that talk about being found. The biggest one is the prodigal son. And it has that famous line at the end, your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. But that's in a series of other parables that Jesus tells about lost things there in Luke. The parable of the lost sheep where the shepherd goes off and leaves the 99 and goes in search of that one lost sheep. The sheep was lost and is found. Then there's the parable of the lost coin where a woman opens her purse and has 10 coins but loses one and sweeps the house clean top and bottom looking for this lost coin. And when she finds it, she actually celebrates that she found her lost coin. What was lost is found. Now from Matthew 13, there's another stretch of parables in there. And hidden down toward the bottom, there are two that are very, very short. My favorite parable, the parable of the hidden treasure, where a man is in a field and finds a hidden treasure and he goes and he sells everything that he owns so that he can buy that field. He finds the treasure. And then there's a man who was in search of great pearls and was searching through all the markets and finally finds these great pearls in the marketplace and sells everything that he owns so that he could buy this pearl. Being found is a very important theme in all of the scripture. In fact, when Jesus introduces those parables, when Jesus talks about them, how does he introduce them? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who is in a field and found a treasure. So it's not just a theme in the Bible, but the kingdom is of God the whole theme, the whole idea in the kingdom of God is about finding things, about being found, about being someplace where Christ comes to you and is revealed to you in that moment. See, Jesus finds Philip. The passage begins with Jesus finding Philip. And how does he find him? He just walks up to him. Because you have to understand, now, when Jesus would come to us, if Jesus were walking those doors, please do, by the way. He would come in and we'd be like, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Take me home. We're going. I'm ready. But we know the story. We know who Jesus is because we've read the book. Philip didn't have a copy of the book with him. So he didn't know who Jesus was. There is no indication that Jesus is anything other than an ordinary human, a regular teacher, a rabbi in the temple. In this episode, Jesus has performed no miracles. He's shown no signs, and he's engaged in no teaching. This is the beginning of his teaching. It's like me walking up to you on the sidewalk and says, hey, why don't you come to my church? you got to give me a little more than that. you got to give me a little bit more. Jesus didn't give Philip anymore. He walks up to Philip, an unknown quantity, and he says, follow me. And Philip, 
who's insane wanders off with him and says, yeah, let me do that. Without a sign, without a miracle, without any teaching. Jesus has presented no proclamation about the reign of God that could excite the imagination of Philip or really anybody to that point. Philip has no evidence that Jesus is to be remarkable. He's just Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so what is it? What is it? It's Jesus' initiative. It's Jesus seeking out and finding. It's Jesus coming to Philip that inspires Philip. There was nothing important. There might have been a really important conversation. We don't get to hear it. Maybe we'll ask about it someday. But we don't get to know what Jesus said except follow me. But it was that initiative, it was that coming to Philip that inspired him. You see, it's not just about the disciples finding Jesus, but significantly it's about Jesus finding them. There's a great book by uh, a Jewish scholar named Abraham Joshua Heschel, and it's called God in Search of Man. And the whole premise of this book, his whole thesis of this idea that in Jewish philosophy has had it wrong for centuries, for millennia, that the books of the Bible, the history of the Jewish people, the whole of the scriptures is not a history of a people seeking after God, but a story of God seeking his creation. That in everywhere we turn, we are not looking for God. In every situation that we've ever gotten ourselves in, we are not seeking out God, but God, rather, who's seeking us. God in search of man. Being found is a transformative encounter leading to a renewed relationship with God. Being found is one of the most important things that we can do. And Philip's response to being found by Jesus is immediate. Now that was Philip, though. It doesn't always happen that way. It isn't always so easy to walk up to someone and say, hey, you know what? Jesus changed my life. I think he can change yours. All right, you ready? Let's go. Those conversations don't happen. They're not that easy. It doesn't happen. He follows Jesus, illustrating how being found by Christ is naturally linked to a decision to follow him. It's a signal in your change of life and a change of direction for everything that happens after that. Philip says, I'm giving up everything. I was walking this way and you said, follow me. And so now you're just going to lead me wherever you want me to go. That's instantaneous trust, which is rare very much. Being found leads to following, but it also leads to an understanding because Philip then goes and finds Nathaniel. Notice that it's not Jesus going to find Nathaniel. It's Philip who runs and finds Nathaniel, and he shares his discovery of Jesus, and this reflects this chain reaction that when you are found, you start to find others. 
being found and finding others. That is what a disciple of Jesus looks like, found and finding. I have been found, and now I'm finding others. That's discipleship right there. That's it. Those two words, found and finding. That's how we base our whole lives off of understanding what we are called to do with Jesus. It's not, you know, evangelism is just another thing that we have to do. I'm just so afraid to have those conversations with other people. It's not something I can do. I'm not called to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, you are. Because when you're found, you go and find more. When you're found and you believe that you've been transformed, you go and find others. It's the transformative impact that you have when you encounter Jesus. It leads to sharing and spreading the message. It's a chain reaction. And it's one of John's most powerful themes. Those who are called by Jesus in turn call other people. The church is always one generation away from dying. We hear that all the time. And that's because if we stop, if we stop that process of being found and that's it, I've been found, there's no more others. There's no more things to open up to. There's no more church because we've stopped in one of the most important things that we do in finding others. But in spite of Nathaniel's skepticism, he does follow Philip. And it's because of their relationship, because of the community building that's already happened before Jesus entered the scene. You see, those relationships that we've built with the people around us, the ones in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, that's community building there. That's where we have the equity in our relationships to go in there and say, you know what, this is really a big thing. But given Nathaniel and his skepticism about what good things can come from that backwater place, He was curious, and it was his relationship with Philip that Philip said, it's okay to be curious, it's okay to question, it's okay not to understand everything right now. We don't have to have a dogma, we don't have to have a theology, we don't have to have a doctrinal position on everything that crops up because we're on this journey together with God. And you say, you know what? We need to take some time and think through this. We need to open our hearts and open our minds, and we need to think about how this is reflective in how we're praising God. Is the church made in our image, or is it made in God's image? (laughs) Oh, that's a loaded question, right? Because I've been to churches. I grew up in a church that was made in man's image. I said, you have to believe these things or you're not a Christian. You have to look and dress this way or you're not a Christian. You have to vote this way or you're not a Christian. Did Jesus stop and ask Philip his politics? Did Philip stop and ask Nathaniel his politics? I hope you don't have any skeletons in the closet, Nathaniel, because you're going to get kicked out of the church. 
It's this great relationship that Philip and Nathaniel already have that Philip can go to Nathaniel and say, hey, you know what? We've found the real thing. I've been found, and now I'm searching out for you because we have been found. Nathaniel honors that relationship. Now, the sticking point for Nathaniel is not so much the assertion that Jesus is the one, that he's the Messiah. You notice he doesn't have a problem with that. He believes Philip when he says that. What's Nathaniel's problem? It's his place of origin. Nazareth. He doubts that anything good can come out of a place that's routinely disregarded. The problem with Nazareth is that it's not mentioned in the law or the prophets. No, no, no. He can't be the Messiah because he's supposed to come from the big cities. He's supposed to already be known by the rich and powerful. He's supposed to already have an army when he comes on the scene. He's not supposed to come from Nazareth. There's nobody in Nazareth. Nazareth was a town of about 500 people. It was tiny. It was a blip on the radar. Nobody was going to Nazareth and wanting to take in their fine cuisine or stay in their fanciest inns. Nazareth was just a backwater place. It might be like us saying, what good could come from Fenton? What good could come from Hyphen Church? They're just small. No one has ever heard of them. How can they change the community? They're so small and insignificant. Nathaniel feels as though someone of importance should come from an important place. But our expectations of God and God's activity can prevent us from having an authentic encounter with God. He may not know yet whether God is at work in Jesus, but he is also not prepared to say where God is not or could not be. And I think so often the church is so willing to say God can't be in that. God can't bless that. God can't work through that. Instead of taking a step back and realizing that God is God and does things that are over and above what we expect. He does not assume he can determine where God can act, the people among whom God can be, or the things God can do. Instead, he is curious enough to accept Philip's invitation to come and see. And this is how we need to approach our skeptical friends and family members and, and people in our offices. I can't believe you believe that kind of stuff, yeah? Come and see. Why don't you come and prove me wrong? Why don't you come and see for yourself that it transforms? Don't take my word for it. Why don't you show up at church? Eh, eh, eh. I could, but I'm busy Sundays. An encounter with Christ always broadens our horizons to help us to see the divine in a brand new way. Being found by Christ is always a transformative encounter leading to a renewed relationship with God. Nathaniel's declaration as of Jesus as the Son of God and the King of Israel after his encounter shows that Jesus not only meets but exceeds his expectations. 
What starts as doubt turns into a profound recognition of Jesus' true identity. And contrary to all human expectations, Jesus, God's very own eternal word is made available to us wayward humans and the life of this lowly man from Nazareth. And then he beats all of our expectations by giving his life up on a cross. So how's that for expectations? I didn't see that one coming. In the interaction with Nathaniel, Jesus displays his divine knowledge by revealing his awareness that Nathaniel's character and location before they even meet. But this signifies a deeper form of being found. Not just physically being found, but also in terms of our inner self and our identity. Jesus not only finds Nathaniel and knew where he was physically, but he knows Nathaniel's inner self. Here is a man without deceit. Here is a man who has nothing to prove. Here is a man who is not looking to score points. Jesus knows who Nathaniel is at a deep character level. He gets to the core of his identity. Jesus also knows where he has been. By revealing himself to Nathaniel, Jesus fulfills what is perhaps one of the greatest human needs, and that is to be known and to be seen. To be treated like a real human. That everything we say, everything that we do, every position that we take, every political thing that we argue over, there is a person attached to that other side. And so Jesus doesn't see Nathaniel just as another checkbox. He doesn't see him as another person just to lead the flock. He sees him as he truly is, as a human being, longing to be known and to be seen, longing for connection with the deepest of creation. And this is where we lose it. This is where we lose it because we start to say, Jesus, what are you doing? You're letting anybody in. Anybody can walk through the door and have a relationship with you. That's not the way this is supposed to work. There's supposed to be a gatekeeper. We have rules for a reason. And Jesus says, let's throw the rule book out for a second. And let's see what happens when we start treating people as humans. When we find people at their lowest and loneliest spots and we say, you know what? Why don't you come and see this for a second? I've found the real thing. I've found someone who knows and sees me better than I've ever been known and seen before. And if you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm stupid, if you think I'm insane, if you think I'm crazy, why don't you come and try it for yourself? What have you got to lose? Oh, we want to be a come and see church. We want to be a church where you can feel free to invite everyone to throw open the doors and say, look at what happens when you can be in the presence of Jesus. We don't want to be a come and see church that says, come and see how awesome church is. Come and see how awesome our worship band is. Come and see how awesome our preacher is. 
I had someone tell me one time, oh, we love our pastor so much, we would die for him. <gasps> Ooh, that's scary. That's a scary place to be. That's when the cult of personality shows up. I don't want to be loved that much by you. I love you all, but I don't ever want you to say that about me. Because it's not about me, it's not about the band. We want to be a come and see how great Jesus is. We want to, see a, we want to be a church that says, come and see how Jesus can change your life. How an encounter with Jesus is going to make you feel found. And when you're found, you're going to want to find others. And that's the chain reaction. That's how it happens. It's clear that Jesus' words strike the heart of Nathaniel because he quickly moves from a posture of come and see to confess. Notice how this is the timeline for Nathaniel. It's curious, it's come and see, and then it's confess. You really are Lord. You know me. You knew me before you saw me. You really are God. Unlike Philip, Nathaniel identifies Jesus as son of God rather than just son of Joseph. With his own experience of Jesus, he can testify now because being found leads to this recognition. And it leads to a recognition not of just who Jesus is. That's what epiphany is, a recognition of who Jesus is. But it also leads to a recognition of ourselves, of who we are and who we were meant to be. And that Jesus' identity becomes our identity. And Jesus says, whatever you've been before, and whatever fig tree you've fallen asleep in before, whatever sycamore tree you had to climb up in before, I'm here now. I want you to recognize your true self. I want you to be seen as who you are. So why does Nathaniel decide to go with Jesus? It's because... He came and he saw. It was his own actions, his own steps toward Jesus. And what a great witness that Philip is to Nathaniel. He doesn't try to convince him. He doesn't try and persuade him. He doesn't use apologetics on him. He doesn't hand him a textbook. He doesn't hand him a book. He doesn't hand him a New Testament. He says to him, come and see. You have to do this on your own. I can't do it for you because then it will be false. You won't have your own faith. And Philip knows this. And he says, I can't do it for you, bro. You've got to come and do it for yourself. You've got to take that step. And Nathaniel listens because he trusts Philip. He trusts his friend. He doesn't even answer any of Nathaniel's questions. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, you know, Nazareth, I mean, it's not going to happen in the way we think it's happened. And some scholars believe that, no, he doesn't do that. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Come and see. Where was God when I was hurting? Come and see. I can't do it for you. I can't answer your questions because if God wanted us to answer questions for believers, then he just would have made them. He would have written them out, and the answers are in the back of the textbook. We can all take our exams now, right? Because that's what it takes to get into heaven. You have to pass the test, right? It's faith. Nathaniel said, I'm going to walk out on my own. I'm going to walk there. I'm going to take a step first. 
because Philip can't do it for me. And he was rewarded. Philip just invites him to join him on a faith journey. He says, I'm going to go and do this thing. Why don't you come with me? And Nathaniel's not obligated to take his word for it. He can find out for himself. And I think a lot of times in our lives when we're looking at people that we want to convert or bring to church or say, hey, why don't you have a faith relationship with Jesus? I think that a lot of times we want them to do it with us, go with us, go on our faith journey and not really start a faith journey for themselves. But nothing's stopping them, right? It's their own stubbornness. It's their own questions. It's their own doubt that gets in the way. And I'm sure Nathaniel had doubt. He expresses that doubt. This isn't the way it was supposed to happen. This isn't what a savior looks like. But I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm lucky that I don't doubt five times before breakfast when I wake up every day. Because just because I'm a pastor and just because I'm a Christian and because I have faith does not mean I have certainty. Doesn't mean that I am without doubt. Because faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is in the presence of doubt. Because every morning I have to reaffirm, yes, God, you are for me. Despite what I see in this world, despite all the reasons not to believe, despite all the things my friends tell me about how crazy this is, how dumb you must be for believing about the old man in the sky, Maybe I am. And why don't you come and see it for yourself? Why don't you come and see what I'm talking about? Nathaniel's realization that Jesus saw him under the fig tree is a pivotal moment in his life. Philip's response should cause us to consider how often we refuse to share the good news because we think our job is to answer every question possible. And so it begs the question, how many people's journey of faith has been stopped because we receive their questions as a threat or a refusal to believe or a challenge that must be answered with pompous Righteousness, puffed up chest. Well, don't come in here and think that about my God. God doesn't need you to defend him. He's fine. He'll live. <laughs> he will. We don't need to answer. That's not our job to answer every question. Our job is to invite and to say, come and see what's taking place. So what does this hold for us? I think the ending of this, this passage is what's most important for us. Because he tells Nathaniel, Jesus tells Nathaniel that greater things are to come. You will see greater things than these. You thought that was great. Wait till I get started. Wait till we go to this wedding next week in Cana. Because you're going to start to see some signs that this is a real thing. And then you're going to start to feel really good about your decision. You thought the fig tree was great. 
Why don't you see what I do with my own life? That being found in Christ leads to a profound shift in personal identity and sense of purpose. We get to experience a reorientation of our values and goals and our understanding of where we fit in in the world so that we align more closely with Christian values, not political values, not family values, not traditional values, Christian values. The values that Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to give up some of the things that you believe in. And we said, nah, that's okay. I'm going to still follow you, but I'm going to believe the things I want to believe. No. Being found by Christ means that everything, it's a profound shift in who we are. Because my identity is no longer in my political party. It's no longer in my family heritage. It's in Christ. And so being found by Christ initiates this lifelong journey of spiritual growth and maturation. It involves deepening our understanding of Christian ideals and values and cultivating personal relationships with God and continually growing in faith. Being found by Christ leads us to a desire for fellowship with other people who have been found by Christ. What did we find last week? That those believers who wanted change in the community, those believers that were going to be baptized, they wanted to hang out with other people who saw the need for real change in the community. If you are found, you are finding, and you're bringing other people into that place. This community aspect fosters a sense of belonging and support. As individuals can join the community in worship and learning and service and mutual encouragement and responsibility and accountability. Those being found by Christ feel compelled to share their experiences with others, serving as a witness to the transformative power of faith. Take an example from Philip. And the impact of being found in Christ can extend to future generations as individuals pass on their value and faith to children and grandchildren for generations to come, influencing family structures and traditions. Being found by Christ is a transformative encounter leading to a renewed relationship with God, <laughs> not with your neighbor, not with yourself, but with God. Being found is not a one-time thing. It's a process that occurs again and again in the lifetime of a believer, morning after morning. Find me here, God. Find me here in my distress. Find me here in my loneliness. Find me here in my anxiety. Find me here in my depression. Find me here in my heartache. Find me again and again. Being found by Jesus is just the beginning. We grow in faith and understanding and commitment to one, or, one another and to God and we help people move from skepticism into a declaration of faith just by inviting them in. Come and see what happens. Let me reveal God to you. Let me introduce you to one of the most important people that I know. 
because I guarantee you they're not going to fall in love with me, but they're going to fall in love with Jesus. That's the kind of church we want to be. Come and see how easy it is to fall in love with Jesus.